Hello, this is Pastor Tim Sims, quarantined for your protection. Welcome to the St. John Chester Podcast, coming to you with the good news of Jesus on this week of the epiphany of our Lord Jesus. Yesterday I spoke on the where of this epiphany story. Where did the Magi come from? Where did they end up in their pursuit of Jesus? In the process, we ended up covering who the Magi most likely were, In the end, what really mattered most regarding who they were was that they were Gentiles who believed Jesus to be their king, worthy of their homage and worship as well. So today in the Epiphany Part 2, let's consider the who of the Epiphany story. I'm going to focus our attention on two aspects of this story. That is, the two kings that are talked about in Matthew chapter 2. The story in Matthew's Gospel makes reference to two different kings, King Herod and Jesus, the baby-born King of the Jews. In this respect, the story we have revealed to us shows a remarkable contrast between the two kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and God's heavenly kingdom as it arrives in Jesus Christ. So let's do kind of a verbal side-by-side comparison of King Herod and Jesus our King. The story of the Epiphany really sets up a story of two kings in contrast. So we have King Jesus and King Herod. Important in being a king, especially as it pertains to being the king of the Jews or Israel, is bloodline. And it is important for this story. Incidentally, both Jesus and Herod, it could be argued, are of David's bloodline by virtue of a woman, but one much more legitimately than the other. Herod has kind of an illegitimate connection to the Davidic bloodline. He is only part of the Davidic bloodline by marriage to one of his ten wives, a woman by the name Miriami, who was of David's tribe. However, Herod wasn't born of Miriami. He was married to her. So his bloodline claim really isn't legitimate. This may have been one of the sources of his paranoia over the years. But then there's Jesus. By virtue of his mother, Mary, who was part of the tribe and lineage of Judah and David as well, Jesus, human flesh, is actually of the bloodline of David. His bloodline claim is legitimate. As these two kings come forward and begin their, shall we say, life and ministry, there's a great contrast between the two of them. One is the epitome of arrogance, the other the epitome of humility. Jesus would be known as Jesus of Nazareth. Now this title fulfills a prophecy, but it is a prophecy that is derogatory in fashion. Jesus of Nazareth is not a flattering title at all. As we've talked about before, one of Jesus' eventual disciples will make the snarky remark, can anything good come from Nazareth in reference to Jesus? And the implication of that comment is the answer is no, because Nazareth was kind of a backwater podunk area. To be known as a Nazarene was derogatory. It was not looked upon in a positive way. Jesus, of course, also experienced a 
very humble birth in the humble peasant village of Bethlehem. Contrast that with Herod. Herod had the self-title of Herod the Great. Kind of reminds me of a title that an NFL wide receiver might give himself, or maybe a wrestler in the WWE. He actually gave himself this title of Herod the Great. That's what he thought of himself, apparently, or at least wanted to be known as. Now, to be fair, he was actually a great king, and very impressive by worldly standards. If you consider the two kingdoms that Jesus and Herod had, well, by worldly standards, one is very impressive and the other really is not. King Herod amassed for himself a very impressive kingdom. He was quite the diplomat. He served as a buffer between Israel and Rome. Many people aren't aware of this story, but he was actually very good friends with Anthony and Cleopatra. He sided with Anthony in the Roman Civil War between Anthony and Octavian. Unfortunately for Herod, and of course Anthony and Cleopatra, Octavian won that civil war. Afterwards, Octavian, the future Caesar Augustus, his advisors told him, you know what, this Herod sided with his good buddy Anthony, you should just kill him and replace him. Well, Octavian considered this, but he paid a visit to Herod. And somehow, this master diplomat, this master politician, Herod actually convinced Octavian not only to let him live, but to retain his power and authority in Palestine. Octavian spared his life against the advisors of his council, and he reinstated Herod. And Herod would actually reward him for it. He engulfed in some of the most impressive building projects in the history of the Middle East. He amassed seven great fortresses during his reign, one of them being Masada, still a great tourist attraction to this day. Masada is a fortress on top of a big, huge, sheer cliff. It is virtually impossible for a standing army to work its way up those cliffs uh, to get to whoever might be staying there. A remarkable fortress. He also carved out a port on the seashore of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, no one had ever done anything like this. There had not been very good or successful trade between Palestine and the Romans and the Greeks uh, leading up to this point, mostly because there was no port for ships to pull into on the Mediterranean Sea along the Palestinian coast. Well, Herod actually had a port carved out of the rock and the sand and built a seaport. And not only did he build this impressive seaport, but he named it the Port of Caesarea. He named it after the Caesar who had spared his life and let him retain power. He was no dummy by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, we also know he began the massive refurbishing and rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem uh, as well. So, quite an impressive guy when it came to worldly standards of what it means to be a king and have a kingdom. Now, in contrast, Jesus would stand before Herod on the day of his trial and not talk about his great accomplishments of buildings or fortresses or 
trade, he would simply utter these words, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom by worldly standards is not only nothing to brag about, it's quite laughable. You can't see any of his great building projects from satellite photos. There's nothing. But you see, he was coming to build a different kind of kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that would give people the opportunity to be in the very presence of their creator and God for eternity. Now, of course, this would involve self-sacrifice and compassion. Listen to Jesus' words as he talks to his disciples about his mission. This is from Matthew 16, beginning at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day rise. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Boy, did Herod have his mind set on the things of man. Not only did he amass uh, a worldly impressive kingdom, but his rule was really all about self-preservation, not self-sacrifice or compassion for the sake of others. You know, during his lifetime and during his rule, he killed two of his own sons because of rumors that they were trying to overthrow him. He did the exact same thing to, are you ready for this? His quote-unquote favorite wife, that same one that had brought him into the Davidic line, Mariami. It's the same type of self-preservation and paranoia that inspired him to kill off the babies in Bethlehem in order to try and kill and end the threat of the baby Jesus. But that wasn't even the worst things that he did. One of the most interesting stories I found of King Herod was that near his end of his life, when he was near death, having been sick for quite some time and all the medical treatments that had been tried just weren't working, he actually summoned his favorite and most trusted sister, a woman by the name of Salome. And he gave her these instructions. He said, I want you to gather all the most popular and favorite religious and political leaders of Palestine into my castle, and I want you to keep them there. And at the moment of my death, I want you to have all of them killed. Now, why, we might wonder? Well, here was his motivation. No one is going to mourn my death. Unless I have a bunch of people that people actually like killed at the same time. There will be mourning on the day that I die in Palestine. Please follow out my orders. Now... Birds of a feather flocked together, and Salome actually turned out to be rather sly herself. On the day that Herod died, she did not follow out this order. Instead, she made those people that had been gathered aware of the plan and then set them free, and thereby had some loyal subjects of her own for quite some time. Boy, what a twisted web King Herod would weave. As impressive as his kingdom was, by worldly standards, how evil 
and sinful. As impressive by worldly standards King Herod was, how evil and sinful of a web he weaved throughout his days, what contrast we see in Jesus Christ. Contrasting the two kings in the Epiphany story reveals just who this Jesus is for us. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, comes in humility and sacrifice to serve you and give you the gifts of his kingdom, forgiveness and resurrection to eternal life. That's the kind of king he is. What a thing to celebrate. A blessed epiphany to you all. I look forward to being with you tomorrow for part three. The Lord be with you.